Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Pray with me. Father God, we ask that you would speak to us. We pray that you would send your spirit, that he would come and he would invade our hearts and our minds, that he would enable us to understand these things. We need spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. Grant us these things. Lord, I I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. Lord, but may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. We just read probably the most quoted verse in the Bible, at least by non-Christians, Judge not lest ye be judged. And for some reason it has to be in the King James. Judge not lest ye be judged. Uh, People have no idea where it is in the Bible. They don't know the context of it in the Bible. But people can certainly quote it. It's like the trump card for all of your non-Christian friends that they pull out. If ever you call them on any sin. You know, they might be in a a sexually immoral relationship. They might have blatantly lied uh, to get out of something. Um, They might be uh, people of another religion, and they're going to pull out, boom, trump card, don't judge me. Your holy book says, judge not lest he be judged. I find it ironic, and I encourage you to do this next time somebody quotes that to you. Just say, well, do you think it's wrong for me to judge you? When they say, well, absolutely, we'll say, well, isn't that a judgment? Aren't you now judging me? And then let good discussion follow. This passage here, it's not talking about making moral judgments. This is not about moral judgments. Because there are so many New Testament texts that say how we are supposed to make moral judgments. A lot of the New Testament would not make sense if we couldn't make moral judgments. It's okay to call something right and to call something wrong. For instance, without moral judgment, what are you going to do with Galatians 5 when Paul says, those who practice sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's making moral judgments. He's saying that these things, they're wrong. And it's okay for you to say that they are wrong. 
In 1 Corinthians 5, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, when someone was sleeping with his father's wife, with his mother-in-law, Paul says, I've already judged such one, and you should judge him too. Kick him out of the church. It is okay to judge. Later in chapter 6, Paul says, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more are we to judge things pertaining to this life? So, if some guy at the office comes up to you and is like, you know, hey, here's some, you know, crack heroin or something, you know, obvious, you know, here it is, take it. It's okay for you to say, that's wrong. No, that's, that's wrong. And if he says, judge not, say, well, go get a Bible, understand it in its context, that's wrong. This is not talking about moral judgments here. I think the best way to understand this command is to understand the sermon last week, which Benjamin did a fantastic job with, on love your enemies. Love your enemies is a positive statement. Judge not is a negative statement, but they're saying the same thing. Judge not is just love your enemies stated negatively. Jesus is saying that we are not to predetermine or we are not to judge who will be the recipient of God's kindness and of God's grace. We cannot make that judgment. And so the only way really to understand this, and I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Benjamin, he said, I know you're just going to like read the entire text again that I preached from last week. I'm not. We're just going to go back a few verses and touch on something different. Look at verse 32, chapter 6. says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Now notice how Jesus uses the word sinners in that paragraph. Look how He uses sinners here. He doesn't use sinners this way any other time in the New Testament. Jesus never uses this kind of language, never treats the word sinners likes this because he is defining sinners the way we define sinners, not the way he would define sinners. He's using our definition of sinners, a sinner being someone other than us, other people who are sinners. I mean, look at what Jesus is saying here. He's going, you don't want to be a sinner now, do you? I mean, even sinners do good to those who do good to them. Come on. You're not like one of those sinful people, are you? He's using our definition. And you're not going to find him using it this way anyplace else in the New Testament. And what he's doing is he's, he's roping in the disciples. He, he's bringing them in because he's just about to explode their self-righteousness. Look at verse 35 again. But love your enemies 
and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus tells His disciples, you are going to be sons of the Most High for He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so what He's doing, He's saying, yeah, you're not sinners. You're just ungrateful and evil people. That's who you are. And God's grace extended to you. In Luke 11, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask him? And he calls his disciples, those who have left everything to follow him, he says, you're evil. You are evil people. And so Jesus here, he's going, you don't want to be like these sinners, do you? Because we know you're ungrateful and evil. And God had mercy on you. God showed kindness when you did not deserve it. He did not judge you according to how you should be judged. And so in return, we are now not to judge others. We do not decide, we do not choose who is a recipient of God's grace, who's a recipient of God's kindness and His mercy. We don't decide that. We don't withhold kindness from anyone because we remember that we are ungrateful and we're evil people. And if we were judged by God, we would not even be here. Now, I think uh, the word judge might kind of throw some of us off because you, you know you picture a, you know, probably a bald guy with a black robe and a gavel and making judgments. And that's not judging here. But we, we've all judged to some extent. We've all sentenced people. Um, let me give you a couple examples. Some Silly examples, maybe. But I bet some of this has happened to some of you. You send a birthday gift or a wedding gift to somebody, and they don't give you back a thank you note. They don't acknowledge it. You might even say they were ungrateful. And so, that's the last gift they're ever getting from you. I'm not going to give them another gift. I mean, they didn't even say thanks. Or maybe the next time you see them, you're not quite as kind as you normally would be. I mean, you're not unkind, you're just not as kind. And what you're doing is you've just pronounced judgment on them. You have found them guilty, and their sentence is, you're no longer getting a gift, and I'm no longer going to be kind. I am judging you. A coworker takes credit for some of your work. So you say some true but negative things about them behind that person's back. That's judgment. You hear another mother say something critical about the way that you are disciplining your child so you don't invite that mother to your next playgroup. That's judgment. One of your friends is the most arrogant guy you know. So arrogant. And so you see it as your duty to occasionally humble him. That's judgment. We judge all of the time. 
We decide, no, no, you receive grace and mercy, and you do not, because you're ungrateful, or because you've done these things. When we think of others as sinners, but not us, we begin to play the part of a judge. So we need to remind ourselves that only God judges. Only God judges. I love the the scene in Genesis 50 um, of Joseph. It's the last chapter in Genesis. And most of you are familiar with the story. There's Joseph who was sold by his, his brothers into slavery. And he spent years as a slave, years in prison, but God in his providence raised up Joseph to to save all of Egypt and the surrounding lands and be the second highest power in all the land. And so there's Joseph way up high and exalted and his brothers in in Genesis 50 are coming to him and their father has just died and now they're scared that Joseph was only kind to us earlier because our father was around. Now that our father's dead, now he's going to judge us. So, in Genesis 50, it says, Joseph's brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And you look at Joseph, and he had the power to judge, and he certainly seemed to have the right to judge there. I mean, his brothers threw him in a pit. They sold him to slavery. Most of his life was utterly wasted in the dungeons there. He's got a right to judge. And when finally it seems as God in all of his providence brings his brothers groveling before him, he says, no. Because I don't sit in the seat of judgment. And my God, God sits in the seat of judgment. And there's a number of us in here who need to get out of God's chair. We're sitting in His throne and we're pronouncing judgments on all of these people. And some of us think we're actually doing the Lord's will in doing that. God brought this person to me to humble them. I'll show this person. I'll teach them this. But judgment is the Lord's. It's not ours. I'm kind of reminded. It's, uh, it's like the Lord of the Rings. Everything goes back to the Lord of the Rings. You know, there's that ring of power. You know, and you think when you get the ring of power and you want to use it for good, I could use this for good, but if you use it, you actually become evil. And the, the, the best way for you to become like Satan or to become evil is to actually try to become like God. For you to try to become like God in your judgment, try to pronounce judgment on people, you'll actually become evil and it will own you. That's God's right alone. Now, this is kind of hard stuff to deal with because, I mean, really, who lives this way? I don't live this way. I want to live this way, but I don't. It's a hard teaching. It's not what the world teaches. It's not popular teaching. I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus talks about teachers right after this. Look at verse 39. He tells them a story. 
Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Can a blind man lead a blind man? Uh, There's a lot of bad teaching out there. I mean, a lot of really bad teaching. Um, Usually if it's popular, it's bad, just as a general rule. It's not a a concrete rule, but usually if it's popular, it means people are being told what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Jesus, he compares bad teaching to people, blind people leading others into a pit. It's obviously a knock against the Pharisees here. He's saying, Pharisees, you're blind. You're giving people all these laws, all these rules. You're thinking of yourselves as righteous and them as sinners. You don't see yourselves as ungrateful and evil. That's false teaching, and it makes you blind. It makes you blind. Now, let me give you a brief warning against some bad teaching because um, it's everywhere, even here in Birmingham. Um, And Romans 16 says that um, by smooth talk and flattery, false teachers will deceive the hearts of the naive. And I do not want you to be naive. Um, Just this past week, I don't know if any of you read the paper. One of the first things I do is I get my cup of coffee and I'll read the paper. There's an article on the front page of the Birmingham News about a pastor um, of one of the largest churches here in Birmingham who just, just wrote a book on how to... Um, how to endure suffering, how to handle grief. Um, And he told the paper that when he was thinking about this book and he was talking with people, he said most people, he found, make the mistake of thinking that God's in control. He said, but God's not in control of the things on this earth. He is only in control of the things in heaven. So God's power only extends in heaven, and we shouldn't expect his power to extend the things on this earth. And so when a tragedy happens, God's not involved, he's not around in any way. And that's his comfort. This is one of the largest churches in Birmingham. The only problem that I have with that is that it goes against almost all of Scripture. And that a God like that gives no hope at all. Really. In my darkest hour, you're telling me that God's nowhere, and yet somehow I should trust this powerless God. I'm sorry, that is no hope. In today's paper, so you could go back and you could check. In today's paper, in the main section, there's not a religion section on Sundays. The main section, there's an article about how the prosperity gospel, those who preach it, are prospering during the, these economic times. How they are just busting out of the seams. And, and let me quote one of the pastors. It says, God knows where the money is, so he can tell you how to find it. He knows it's just hiding. God can tell you where to find it. And then they took an offering for his private jet. This is a large church. They brought in over $100 million last year. It's terrible teaching, and it's the blind leading the blind straight into a pit. I mean, but typically, you know, 
we're in the Bible belt, and so things got to be a little more subtle. There's got to be at least some scripture thrown out there to be twisted and, you know, turned. Here, there's religious people. But here in the South, we err on the side of Phariseeism. We want law. Give us law. We thrive on the law. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want that checklist to say we're doing all of these good things so we compare ourselves to others and say, see, our lives are in order. Much of the bad preaching in the South, it focuses on what you should do, but not what Christ has done. And it puts your salvation squarely on all that you're doing instead of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And let me tell you the gauge to tell whether a teacher is blind or not. One, is the Bible their authority? And is the gospel the central message to their teaching? Is the Bible their authority and is the gospel the central message to their teaching? And if not, you are following a blind person, no matter how good-looking they are, no matter how much they flatter you with their speech. Paul tells the Galatians, says, there are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. And so that means tonight, if you're going to bed and you sleep and you wake up and there's a glowing, you know, seraphim or cherubim above you and says, hey, you know what? All you need to be saved is to believe that Jesus died and rose again. And you really need to pray harder. And you really need to give to the poor. Even if an angel were to say that to you, you were to say, be accursed. That's not the gospel. That's the gospel plus something. And that's not the gospel. Don't give me law. So you can curse an angel if an angel ever says that. Anybody who adds anything to the death and resurrection of Jesus as the central message adds anything to that that is anti-gospel, that is false teaching. Always ask, is the Bible their authority? Is the gospel central to their teaching? These things go hand in hand. So if you hear some pastor get up and say, hey, God's really not in control of this world. He's only in control of heaven. Say, you're wrong. You're blind because the Bible doesn't teach that. Don't be naive. Know your Bible. And if you hear how you have to give to the poor, and how you have to abstain from sexual immorality, and how you have to pray to God in order for Him to love you, we say, you are blind. But that's not the gospel. You're a false teacher. And if I follow you, I will end up in a pit. When a teacher preaches law but not gospel, and I preach this at Jeff's ordination service, if a preacher preaches law but not gospel, people are going to walk away feeling either a lot better about themselves or a lot worse about themselves. But they're not going to love Jesus anymore. They're either going to feel better or they're going to feel worse, but they will not know Jesus any better when it's all said and done. Teachers are needed in the church. I've got good teachers in my life. They're needed. That's why God gives the church teachers. Just make sure the Bible's their authority and the gospel's their central message. Only follow a teacher who is in turn following Christ. 
Jesus, he gives us one more parable here, and it's related. These go hand in hand because he's talking about a blind teacher, and now he's talking about a person with a moat in his eye. Now, if you have a moat or a log or a huge you know, beam in your eye, you're blind, okay? These are related. It's a continuation of this. When he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is one of my favorite parables that Jesus does. Because one, it's funny. I mean, Jesus was a humorous person. There's, you know, I mean, you got to admit, this is kind of a humorous story. You're going to walk away. Both of these stories are, you know, blind people following blind people into a pit. You know, it's funny. It's funny to me. Y'all are looking like, what kind of person are you? You know, a person with this huge beam out of their eye. It's funny. It sticks with you. I like these parables because they're short. They're fairly easy to understand. And man, they hit me. Jesus is being funny, but extremely serious at the same time here. He saw hypocrisy as such a fundamental problem with people. He put it in his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Mount. Put it in there. Everybody struggles with this. We don't laugh at this. And Jesus, he could have used a lot of illustrations to deal with hypocrisy and with false teaching. But he chose this one right here. And I think he chose every word very carefully. Have you ever gotten some dirt in your eye? You know, just just some dirt in your eye or a little, you know, maybe a splinter in your eye. A few years ago, most of you know, I stepped on a hoe and the hoe handle popped up, smashed my cornea. I've heard every hoe joke there is. Do not come to me afterwards and tell them. I've heard them all. You're wasting your breath. So the hoe pops me in the eye. Go ahead. Get it out. All right. And so I've got pieces of wood and debris and all these things that are just smashed into my eye. And there's so much in there that it led to this four-month infection. It was just terrible. Um, but I can tell you something. When you have something in your eye, you know that there's something in your eye. There's no mistaking it. And I realized I just said that like it was so profound. You really do. Something's in your eye. You know it. You're painfully aware something is in my eye. But here's the, the ironic thing. You can't see it. You don't know what it is. You're painfully aware that there's something there and you would think that you could see it, but it's so close to you. You can't see it. You don't know what it is. It's right where you should see. It's on your eye, but you can't. It's too close. It's too painful for you to see correctly. And Jesus compares that to our condition, who we are as people. Now notice Jesus, He does not say that we fail to confess, we fail to acknowledge that there is a log in our eye. No, He says we fail to see it. 
We don't even notice it. It's too close. Now we're painfully aware that there's something wrong with us. There's something fundamentally wrong with us, but I can't see it. I don't know what it is. And the word log here, um, in Greek it means builder's beam. It's a builder's beam. It's, it, it does not mean, you know, just big stick or, you know, big pole or twig or something like that. It's a very specific term for a builder's beam. For, for in a house, it's the main support that goes to hold up the house or, or in a, a large structure there. And once again, I think Jesus is very carefully choosing his words. And what he's saying is that deep within us, deep within us, there's this foundational thing. This, at the very core of our being, we know something is terribly wrong. We know it. We feel it. We feel the pain of it, but we don't know what it is. We go our whole lives and we we, we can't see it clearly, but there's something wrong with us. Something that we've, we've built our lives on. Something that we depend on. And yet it's flawed. And we, we know it's there because the, the few times in our life that we actually stop, get the other voices out, and we think, we become aware of it. And what we typically do when that happens is we try to cover it up. We try to cover it up, you know. Uh, we're, we're the hypocrites who pretend there's nothing wrong. we got this huge beam coming out of our eye and, you know, we're putting on makeup. You know, pretending like, oh, I can make myself beautiful. Nothing's wrong. Nobody's going to notice this. And you got a beam sticking out. And that's all of us. All of us are hypocrites. We have enormous flaws in our life that we're hiding now, some people, they try to hide these flaws by, by being as bad as they could possibly be, acting like they don't care. I mean, they will just give themselves to evil, and they will just do it now like, it doesn't matter, I don't care, none of that stuff bothers me, and that's hiding. You're hiding, because you know you feel the pain. And then there's others who go the opposite route, and they become very religious. I'm going to be really, really good I'm going to be so good. I'm going to be the church on time. You know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give a lot of money to the poor. I'm going to be really, really good. Then maybe nobody will notice this flaw. But it's there. I mean, for thousands of years, people have been trying to cover themselves up. Ever since Adam and Eve covered themselves up with fig leaves after they sinned. That's all a lot of our religiosity, that's all that Phariseeism is. It's fig leaves they're covering up. And Jesus says, you do the same thing as Adam did when I shone the light on you. I said, let's deal with your problem. Diversion. What about Eve? The woman you gave to me, she's the one. I mean, it was her fault. Point out to Eve, the speck in another's eye. Diversion, because when God shines his light on you, it's too painful. So you divert. That's what this passage is about. Diverting attention away from ourselves. The reason we want to judge others is because we cannot stand it when the light of judgment comes on us. So let's get the focus elsewhere. 
Now this thing in us, and this fundamental flaw we have is sin. Now I know you, you can apply this text in a lot of different ways. Um, I, th- I think the basic big thrust of it is sin. I, I listened to a message where the, the pastor applied it this way. He said he was meeting with a guy who was smoking nonstop. I mean, absolutely nonstop. He would drink and he'd keep a cigarette on the side and he just kept drinking. And then he went to put a sweet and low in and the guy goes, hey, those will kill you. He's like, really? Those will kill me? He's like, why don't you try getting the beam out of your own eye, all right? And, and there's a certain degree that, yes, you could apply that. But I think Jesus is talking about something much more fundamental here. Something about the very heart of our existence. And that is that we are sinful people. And if we truly understand that, we're not going to judge. We truly understand that we're going to love our enemies. Our hearts are evil. We are the very sinners that we look down on. That's us. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus says we can become children of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. He's kind to us. We don't have to try to hide our depravity. We don't have to. God doesn't love the person you try to be. He loves the person you are. So don't hide that. This is who I am. God's already seen it much more than you will ever see. He's already judged it through the death of Jesus. So we don't hide it. And that's the good news of the gospel. Because in the good news of the gospel, we are, we are both more aware of just how sinful we now are, and we're also more aware of just how loved we are. Both of those come together. And when those things meet That is when we love our enemies. That is when we don't judge. That's when we offer kindness to those who hit us. When those two things meet. There's things we can only know through the gospel of Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Man, your word hurts sometimes. just means you're chiseling away from us the parts of us that don't look like you. Sometimes your word is abrasive. But that just means you're making us into your image. I thank you that we worship and serve a God that's not like us. That gives me hope. God, I pray for us as a church, you would make us into a loving people. No matter what the world throws at us. We will love our enemies. We will bless those who persecute us. People steal from us. We'll rejoice. We'll try to meet their needs. When people do terrible things, we won't judge them, but we'll still offer kindness. We acknowledge the sinful log that's in our eye. It's there. I pray that through your gospel and your spirit, you would allow us to spiritually see again. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.